In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Well, hello and welcome into the Retirement Pathfinder. Glad to have you on the show today. It's a mailbag edition of the podcast where we'll dive in and pull out a handful of questions that you've sent in or that have come into the office over at Pathfinder Wealth and do our best to answer them here on the show as always. It's hard to give a complete answer if we don't know your full situation. So you'll always want to follow up and sit down with a professional afterwards to make sure your concerns are addressed, but we'll do our best to answer your questions here today with Barbara and Phil. Welcome in to you both. How are you? We're doing great. How are you? How are you doing, Ben? Doing very well. I love our mailbag editions and we always appreciate the feedback that we get from people on the show. And it's always uh, welcome to to hear from you. So if you have questions for us, send them in, please, uh, through the website, or you can always schedule an appointment with Barbara and Phil if if that's what you want to do. It's easy to do. Just visit Pathfinder Chat. Dot com a great place to start well it's time i think for a farm update um we haven't had a farm report in a while Phil, so anything new or exciting happening well yes ben in fact uh, i'm going to call this segment the attack of the killer bees <laughs> oh man and uh yeah we uh we made a decision here recently to have a somebody from our, our beekeeping club uh bring his hives on our property because we have so many wonderful wildflowers i mean it just this has been a, a banner year for flowers, you know? And um, so we thought, well, we'll just give those bees an opportunity to do some more pollination. So he brought 17 hives out and, and put them on the property. And I was out there a couple of weeks ago, uh, helping him move some of the hives around and, and so forth. And so on. And I usually wear uh, just a hood and protective gloves. The rest of my outfit is just, you know, a, a light shirt and probably blue jeans. And that's usually what I, I wear when I do some simple bee, beekeeping for the couple of hives we've, we've worked with in the times past. Well, my friend Ty says, well, you know, you might want to put a suit on. I said, I, yeah. I don't need, I don't need a suit. You know, this is fine. This is what I've used in the past. Right. So, so we got to open up the first hive and all of a sudden a swarm of bees came out there and got me big time. I mean, oh, I got stung five times in the stomach wow. right away Jeez. and couldn't hustle away from that spot fast enough and uh, put on the, the suit. Well, what I found out was that my friend Ty had come up from Texas with a new batch of bees. And um, what kind of bees were they? They were killer bees. Some of them were killer bees. They were very aggressive bees. And so um, it's mm-hmm. not your, you know, your mama and daddy's old friendly bees from the farm oh, lot. Okay. It was the killer bee types. And so word of the wise is that, you know, you're not always going to be confronted by friendly bees out there. Now, I'm not saying run away from the bee. That's the worst thing you can do. But you have to be adequately protected if you're going to be doing beekeeping. I know some of our listeners are doing that right now. They're kind of laughing at me at this point for being <laughs> so <worrying>. silly. Yeah, <laughs> not wearing a bee suit. That's what you do because you you don't know what to expect what, what comes out of a hive. Well, you know what, though, I have to, I also have to say that um, Phil's bees picked up some friends and those were called wasps because oh. there was, there was a uh, swarm of them. There was a nest underneath Phil's truck that he Jeez. brought to the office. And so <laughs> he, uh, he gets out of his truck and he gets stung by these wasps. Uh, what another four times, Phil? Oh yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, those, oh, those uh, stings were, were were really severe. I mean, they, a wasps, you know, stinging you is, is rather severe compared to a honeybee, but yeah. So I'll be completely immune to any type of bee yeah. sting from this point <laughs> forward. I'm sure. 
<laughs> Thanks for watching out for us, though, and then uh, spraying around here for us so we don't get bit. Yeah, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure that we keep them away from the office. Yeah, yeah I had an attack um, last last year, uh, just mm. mowing the grass out front, and there was one of those uh, like yellow jacket nests in the ground. Oh, yes. Obviously, you, you, can't, really you can't severe. see those, right? So like, I just mm. was mowing. I ran over it, and next thing you know, I felt like, three or four bee stings and like i look up and, and start paying attention and there's just a swarm of them that come out and i'd, I'd uh oh you obviously kick the nest a little bit so yeah it was not fun i had to let them settle down then i filled up that hole with uh with a little bit of spray about a mm -hmm. day or two later but it was not comfortable to, well then you also have to that'd be a terrible way to find out if you're allergic too yeah it? <laughs> yeah i've already been stung before earlier in life thankfully but i knew but mm. i definitely well, had yeah. a, a more reaction in terms of like itching it swelled up pretty good and oh yeah. I was itching yep. for a few days but that's not fun so i don't i don't no. envy your situation feel at all so <laughs> i'm glad you're all right and uh, i know there's never a dull day out on the farm well, let's uh, let's move into our mailbag. Uh, let's answer some questions today here sure. on the podcast. Uh, we appreciate everybody that sent them in, and uh, we got a, a handful of good ones today that I want to run by you both. So, let's lead off uh, things with Carrie, who says, "I just started a new job that is higher upside than my previous job, but it has a lower base salary. I'm counting on some big commissions in my future, but my base salary is low enough that it would be hard to contribute to a 401k and still pay my bills. So, is it okay to just use my commissions for retirement savings?" even though those payments will be somewhat irregular. Many of my clients have heard my personal story, Ben, about how I began in the financial business uh, over 40 years ago. And uh, what I did is I, I actually had a fellow officer in the army when I was in the service, take me into, under his wing and he mentored me. Major Carter was his name. And, and he would uh, often remind me of two very important rules to follow if I wanted to become a successful investor. And the first rule was this. He said this, he said, Phil, part of every dollar that you make is yours to keep. It doesn't all belong to the government, doesn't belong to the mortgage company, doesn't all belong to the car dealership, it doesn't all belong to the grocery store or McDonald's. It belongs to you. Whatever you decide that amount is, whether it's 1% or 50%, it's yours to keep. You earned it, you get to keep part of it. But he said the, the first rule is useless without following the, with the second rule, and, and that's this, you must pay yourself first. So the truth of the matter is, Kerry explains it here, is that he's betting on that big commission payday when it comes uh, to before, before he starts to pay himself. You know, he's going to put his commission dollars into his 401k, not his base salary. So that's a danger. That is really dangerous. My advice to Kerry is to carve out at least 10% of his base salary that he can count on to contribute and live on the difference. That's what we did is I, I was paying $50 a month out of a $500 paycheck in the military. It was going into a, um, a mutual fund at that time. So Carrie, you should put 10% of your salary away into a 401k. You can always increase it once your commission comes in, if it does. Okay. And that's the other word I want to give to Carrie. you know, being in, in business on commission, most of my career, has been one of the greatest experiences of my life, Barb. It really has. Um, the idea of being compensated in direct proportion to one's effort is truly the American dream. Right. So Kerry's employer is dangling the carrot of commissions in front of him, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says the commission payments will be somewhat irregular. That kind of bothers me because uh, it may indicate that maybe they can't pay commissions out as well as he can expect them to come or it doesn't come as often as he would like to pay his bills. But whatever it is, we need to find out what he means by it. And I would be happy to 
encourage Carrie to sit down with me or to give us a call on our pathfinderchat.com line. And uh, we can talk about uh, to Carrie or anybody else out there what it means to pay yourself first, to make sure that you're putting money away into a 401k plan to adequately uh, save for retirement. It's a 15 minute uh, private phone conversation. It's complimentary. And we can answer that or any other questions that you might have uh, in, in a very quick manner. And uh, it, there's no cost to it. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, Phil. You know, I would say, Carrie, too, if your salary is low, is it possible that you can contribute something at all to your 401k? You oh, know, absolutely. like you're saying, you know, at least for uh, 10%. But, you know, I, even up to the company match would be great because otherwise you're giving away free money oh, if free you're not money. doing right, that, right. you know. And then if, um, if if that is just not possible, well, it should be because you should save something like Phil says, but at the least you can contribute to a Roth IRA. Depending on your age, you can contribute up to $6,000. And if you're over age 50, you can contribute $7,000. And you could, you could actually do that with your commissions. But you want to get in the mindset of saving. So even though your salary is low, you can contribute in other ways. Yeah, it's a great question, Carrie. And uh, hopefully... You know, the commissions will come in, as you hope. Uh, We Mm -hmm. wish you best of luck in that situation. All right, here's a question for Mark. Uh, I was under the impression that the tax laws from a few years ago would mainly benefit rich people, but I'm the definition of middle class, and it appears my taxes were a lot lower again this year than they were a few years ago. Do you think I did anything wrong? That is a great question, Mm. Mark, because uh, I've been waiting to go over some statistics about, uh, you know, the the, uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Well, you likely didn't do anything wrong at all because many taxpayers, most taxpayers had a decrease. In fact, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered taxes for individuals throughout income groups. In spite of what you've heard that the Tax Reduction Act only benefited the rich, which just isn't true. Well, according to taxfoundation.org, the Joint Committee on Taxation prepared an analysis of the TCJAs from now on through the rest of this question. I'm just going to refer to the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act as the TCJA. Uh, They did an analysis of the TCJA's impact, focusing generally on how it impacted taxpayers in 2019 relative to prior law. The report shows that the TCJA cut taxes for individuals across all income groups, including by more than $500 for almost half of taxpayers. The act reduces aggregate tax liability across all income groups by an estimated $259 billion Mm -hmm. relative to prior law. So, for example, the group of taxpayers making between thirty and forty thousand dollars in 2019 paid an estimated five point four billion dollars less, a thirteen and a half percent reduction compared to prior law. And the TCJA reduces the average tax rates for all taxpayers by an estimated one point seven percent in 2019. I looked at all of the different uh, income groups, but I won't. I'm not going to share those in this call here. Overall, only 5.5% of taxpayers saw an increase in 2019. The TCJA reduced 2019 liabilities by at least $100 for more than 65% of taxpayers and by more than $500 for 48% of taxpayers. And Phil, you and I have seen many of our clients coming in mm. with you know, well over $1,000 in savings in, yep, their, you know, in their taxes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, for our listeners, I wanted to take this one step further because some of you may be thinking, well, what happens to the economy when tax rates are decreased? Is the government being cheated out of revenue? Well, not exactly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. According to Heritage.org, Daniel Mitchell, a senior fellow in political economy, wrote a piece on tax reduction in the economy and said that there's a distinct pattern throughout American history. When tax rates are reduced, the economy's growth rate improves and standard of living increases. 
people feel incentivized to work. That's that's why. So right. Absolutely. Additional yeah, there's labor. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And for instance, history tells us that tax revenues grow and rich, quote unquote, taxpayers pay more tax when marginal tax rates are reduced. Conversely, periods of higher tax rates are associated with subpar economic performance and stagnant revenues. I'm going to go over just a couple things here, a couple points, because I think they're important. Uh, one, lower tax rates do not mean less tax revenue. A little history in the 1920s, tax rates were slashed dramatically from over 70% to less than 25%. Personal income tax revenues increased substantially from $719 million to $1.16 billion in 1928, an increase of about 61%. Treasury Secretary Allen Andrew Mellon back then states the history of taxation shows that taxes which are inherently excessive are not paid. It's because high rates put pressure on the taxpayer, the higher higher income taxpayer, of course, to remove money from productive businesses and to dump that money into tax exempt bonds and and, and mm-hmm. other sources uh, equivalent. And the second thing I wanted to ma- to mention is the rich pay more when incentives to hide income are reduced. And the tax cuts again to the 1920s. The share of tax burden for those making $50,000 and up in those days, that was considered high income. Mm-hmm. Climbed from 44% in 1921 to 78% in 1928. So in other words, those in high incomes back then paid 78% of the tax burden. The Kennedy tax cuts, those making over $50,000 a year, again, high incomes, tax revenue climbed by 57% between 1963 and 1966. Reagan tax cuts. Reagan proposed sweeping tax rate reductions during the 1980s. By the way, Reagan's tax cut was the greatest in history, greatest tax reduction in history, Mm -hmm. greater than in the 1920s and greater than the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act too, by the way. Total revenues climbed, get this, by 99.4% during the 1980s. The taxes paid by the top 10% in 1981 jumped from 48% in 1981 to 15%, uh, excuse me, 57% in 1988. So the top 10% paid 57% of the tax burden. So, you know, it's a, I wanted to go over that because, uh, you know, we've dispelled a couple of those myths about the majority of taxpayers not benefiting uh, from the Tax Reduction mm-hmm. Act, and they mm-hmm. did. And history tells us that tax revenues grow in rich, quote unquote, taxpayers pay more when marginal tax rates are reduced, which means lower income citizens bear a lower share of the tax burden costs. Well, you know, not to get political here, Barb, but uh, during the Reagan regime, there was a fellow named Arthur Laffer. That was his uh, economist. He was, prim- he was a primary economist. Yes. for. He created something called the Laffer Curve that basically explains exactly what it is you just described. And so that's very important. But, you know, the other point I wanted to make was that we probably, since the, uh, the Tax Reduction Act of 2017, we've probably done, I don't know how many seminars on taxes and retirement, maybe 50? Oh, 56, maybe more. Oh, my goodness. Since the Tax Reduction Act, because we've yeah. been doing these for five years. Yeah. yeah and so at least, yeah, maybe 100. I haven't kept count. But one of the things that I think we've only found one or two people in all those classes that really understood the benefit of the Tax Reduction Act and, and what that did for them. And it really is um, kind of, you know, surprising to hear that. But quite frankly, it's not been promoted in the media. It really has not. And so as a result, and then once they find out about this tax law change, uh, they're a little bit miffed and uh, that they have not really been educated properly about how this particular tax law and others 
pertaining other laws in that law could help lower their taxes. Yeah, it's been obviously too, Phyllis, because, you know, what they heard on media that it only benefited the rich and that, you know, according to history and statistics here, it's just not true. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, some great information, some great stats there to to really kind of clear things up because I'm sure there's, he's not the only person that's probably wondering that um, as well. So appreciate that question, Mark. All right. uh, Here's one from Scott. It says, I'm interested in buying a rental property or two, but should I wait until my own mortgage is paid off before I do that? I would be very interested in having a conversation with Scott about real estate because I do own rental properties myself. Now, it would be interesting to learn also why he is asking about paying off his own mortgage first before he invests, because that's not the normal process used when people are getting into the real estate investing business. Um, Here are some of the other things we probably need to ask him about. Is he saying this because he doesn't have very good credit? Uh, Does he believe strongly in avoiding debt? A lot of people don't want to go into debt with uh, real estate. Um, what would Scott expect on on his ROI? And what's an ROI, Bob? Barb? Uh, return on investment. Yeah, return on investment, right? <laughs> uh, does he have a written business plan? That's another question mm-hmm. I would have for Scott. Uh, what are the terms of his loan on his primary residence? Maybe they're so appealing that he shouldn't pay off his mortgage yeah. early, right? Uh, now, here's a real important one for Scott. Uh, Scott, do you have a 401k or retirement fund elsewhere? in the event that your rental estate plan doesn't work. So you'd be better diversified if you had funds elsewhere. That's really important. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, paying off his primary loan is not the usual path into the business. You know, he may be thinking that using his home equity as collateral to buy other real estate, you know, or cash, uh, maybe some type of a home equity loan to buy that rental real estate might be something he's looking at. But here's the deal. We have to understand that really you want to put as few of your own personal funds into the real estate as you can, because quite frankly, the fewer or the the less amount of dollars you put into it personally, generally speaking, the higher your uh, return on investment. So most people that are doing real estate investing use something called OPM. What other people's money. Other people's (laughs) money, right? So (laughs) as you use OPM, the percentage return on your personal investment really is greatly multiplied and it's leveraging that money is what you're really doing. But until I get all the particulars about what spot, what Scott is thinking, uh, I'm reluctant to steer him in answering his questions specifically. So Scott uh, or any other listeners that are interested in diversifying into real estate investing, just uh, go on, uh, you know, pathfinderchat.com and uh, get on our calendar and ask us. We can give you 15 minutes of complimentary time here. There's no obligation, but we can probably cover most of your questions with regard to diversification and, and real estate investing. Yeah, you know, I agree too, Phil. You know, I don't think waiting until your mortgage is paid is necessary. And I don't really think that that's usually, like you said, part of the picture. And when people ask these questions, sometimes they're just the one lines and it's hard to you know, differentiate from some of the things that we may be thinking and just don't have the information. Right. You know, is he looking at residential or commercial? I mean, the difference in the amount of work with each is significant, I, I, I would say. And, and talk to people that own property so that you hear the bad along with the good, you know. Sure. Um, when he's talking about his mortgage being paid, I wonder if it's a cash flow issue because you have to have plenty of cash flow, Bill, as you know, that when tenants don't pay or you don't have any at all. Um, so real estate's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Nope, it's not. It could seem very, very easy in a lot of aspects. People, if you talk to some certain people, make it look really easy. But again, can be a big challenge. But we appreciate that question, Scott. Good one. Uh, one more here. Let's take this one from Leslie. She says, I have a financial advisor who's done a good job for me over the years, but my brother always says I could be doing better. Should I listen to my brother or just tell him to leave me alone? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, well, he's your brother, so just tell him to leave you alone. Yeah, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> Leslie, it's a, that is a good question, though. Uh, and, and better is a relative word. So better meaning what? Mm-hmm. Greater returns. Your brother is in a completely different circumstance than you, very likely. You had, you know, along the way, you have relatives, coworkers, you have friends, neighbors. We all, all comparing returns, and it's not just about returns. And if it is, his tolerance for risk could greatly differ from yours. If he's a risk taker, he'll have higher returns over time than someone in a portfolio with less risk. But income is the key. Your income need dictates how your money should be invested in retirement. If you know your financial advisor has done well for you and your investments are outpacing inflation and can give you an income stream for the rest of your life, then maybe you don't need to listen to your brother's advice and you may not like what it is that he's investing in with his money anyway. Your financial advisor should be in touch with you regularly, review your current plan and your income needs. You should have an estate plan, even if it's just a will, a plan for long-term care when that need arises, and have a tax reduction plan for you. If this person isn't doing all these things for you, you may want to work with someone else who does. But the bottom line is it's a trust and a comfort feel. If you feel this person is a fiduciary acting in your best interest and you have a good relationship with him or her, then maybe it's time to let your brother know you're fine where you're at. Barb, wouldn't you say it's safer to probably discuss with your brother fishy hunting, baseball, and football? Uh, yeah, rather than rather than financials. Yeah, uh, yeah that's you, you betcha. That's not just something for just a passing conversation. Right, right. And we always talk all the time. You don't compare yourself with other people, too, right? So there you go. Yep. Good question, though, Leslie. Tell them to scram, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, do it in a polite way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Depends on what kind of relationship you, you have. You got to see them at Thanksgiving. Remember, yeah, that's so. right. Uh, the holidays are coming up soon, right, so right, keep right. that in mind. All right, Leslie, we appreciate that uh, that question, and thank you to everyone that has sent a question in to us. We always are grateful for those and always grateful for any feedback that you provide the show. We love to hear from you, even if it's not a question, if you just have some feedback, a thought on something we said, or just want to follow up and, and meet with Barbara and Phil to discuss a, a topic of conversation that we've had on the show. We we welcome that as well. Just visit pathfinderchat.com. That is the website to schedule a meeting. You can get on Barbara and Phil's calendar right from that website. Again, pathfinderchat.com. All right. We will close it out on that note. We'll probably re- return to the mailbag again soon. So please send us those questions. And in the meantime, Barbara and Phil, I hope you have a good couple of weeks and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Have a great Thank day. You. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everyone. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.